Because of COVID-19, I wanted to release a podcast this week, even though we haven't been in the past few weeks, but I know that Luke and I haven't been able to get together as often to do our recording sessions. So I went and started looking through some of our archives about uh, the messages that I've preached in the past, and I found this one that I preached at Ambassador Baptist College my senior year of college there. It's a short message, but uh, it's one of my first ones that I have on recording at least. And just wanted to share that with you guys and hoping to get back with you guys again in the near future. Thank you. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 10. Okay, Philippians 3 and verse 10. I, want to, I am truly appreciative for the opportunity to preach today, and I know that I'm one of the most unworthy to be up here. But Philippians chapter 3, and actually I'm going to start reading in verse number 2. Philippians 3 and verse number 2. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. And have no confidence in the flesh, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he have, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I am more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted for loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Let's pray. Father, I know my own inability to preach your word, and I ask that you would speak through me. Help me to decrease, but you to increase. I love you, Lord, and I ask that you'd help me to enlighten the minds of those here and the hearts and the wills of every person in here to seek and to pursue you with everything that they have. I love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Imagine out in, the feet, out in the soccer field out there, I've planted a treasure that could pay anybody in here's school bill. And I know all of us would be jumping up saying, let me go, let me go, I want to find it, right? Any of us would do that. And I imagine we'd have, by tomorrow, we'd have helicopters flying overhead and people from Shelby and Boiling Springs crowding in here and everybody would be out there with their shovels digging, digging, looking for that treasure. Paul here shows his desire for a treasure that was worth far more than any treasure we could bury out in that field. That is the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. To him, it was like a diamond that he could hold in his hand with many facets on each side, the top and the bottom and all around. Say it's a princess cut diamond for you girls. But one way you turn it and you see the very person of Jesus Christ. Another way you turn it and you see the power of God. And then on another side, you see his presence. 
That's what Paul is pointing out here in verse number 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. You see, Paul had been one of the most renowned Jews of his day. He persecuted the church. He'd been at the stoning of Stephen. He, he was on his way up. He had riches and fame to come, basically. He was the American idol of our day. Paul had everything going for him. But he counted all this but loss. Loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I would like to stir up a passion in your guys' hearts and to challenge you to seek the knowledge of Jesus Christ in your own lives, as Paul did in this verse. My first point and the first facet of that diamond I want to look at is the very person of Jesus Christ. It says that I may know him. In the Gospels, we read about Jesus Christ and we see his life and how he treated people and healed the lame and the blind and he, and he uh, forgave sins and all these many different things. But those things can only, in our minds, oftentimes settle down into just historical facts. We study every day in classes, Jesus Christ and his life. We have Christology and we have the life of Christ. And we study his life. But if it goes no deeper than just the head knowledge of Jesus Christ, that knowledge is vain and empty and means nothing to us. He's just as important to us as Napoleon and Caesar. <clears throat> Jason Lowe Baxter, in his book, Going Deeper, gives a list of four ways that people can know another person. The first thing that he lists is that we can know a man historically, which is what we would be reading out of a book. You pull out your history book, you read about Julius Caesar and how he conquered in the Gaelic Wars and such things, and you know that Caesar existed, but you know, not, you know nothing about him personally. You never met him, right? <clears throat> if this is all our knowledge of Jesus Christ is, it is insufficient. But the second way that we can know a person is contemporaneously. Now, this would be like me knowing our President Bush. And you guys have all heard this illustration. I live at the same time as our president. But have I ever met him? No, maybe I've been within a couple hundred, hundred feet of him, but I've never gone up to him, shook his hand, and said, How's it go How's, how are you doing, Mr. President, in a respectful way, sorry. <laughs> but I've lived during his time. But I don't know him. I've not gone to his house. I've not eaten dinner with him. I've not discussed the depths of my heart or his heart together. Basically, we're complete strangers, even though we live at the same time. Now, imagine what it would have been like to live in the days of Jesus Christ, to see him heal, heal the man who's sitting on the side of the street with leprosy, to have been Zacchaeus in the tree and to look down and have Jesus say to you, I'm going to your house today. But, but imagine if you were just one of those men on the outsides of the crowd and you could never get into the middle of the crowd. You, you saw Jesus from a distance, but you never knew him. There's that distance in relationship. And the second way, or the third way that we can know of another man is contactually. That would be like some of you here at school. I know you, and I know you exist. I, may, I know your names. But I may not know you necessarily personally because I don't spend a whole bunch of time with you. But I have contact with you. I may see you at lunch. I may see you in class. I see how you behave yourself in front of, in front of the teachers and when you're at work and stuff like that. But I am not intimately familiar with your life. I can make an evaluation of who you are and what kind of a person you are and what your character is. But it's only surface value. I can't go any deeper. And those 
observations on the outside may not be completely accurate. But the fourth way that we can know a person, and this is the way that we should seek to know the Lord, is familiarly. In Psalms 42, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, As the heart panteth after the water, Brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. And in Psalm 63, 1 and I'll at least quote verse 1. O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee, as in a dry and weary land. There is a familiar intimacy in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we must go beyond just knowing the facts about Christ in a history book to actually having an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. The uh, word to know in this verse is actually a growing experiential knowledge. And if you need more proof of that, come see me later or talk to Pastor Camp. But the word behind this is a growing experiential knowledge. And Paul's focus here is not, I want to know more about Christ, but I want to know more of, of Christ. I want to know Him. <clears throat> so often as fundamentalists, we react against an, an idea of experience. Because the charismatics have taken it, they've blown it way out of proportion. But experience bounded by truth is all right. You need to know your Lord. You need to have an experiential relationship with him, realizing that that experience can never violate this word because God has already revealed what he wants you to know about himself in this book. And so any experience you have, if it usurps the authority of this book, is wrong and it's not of God and it's not true. And you can test your experience by that. But you must have an experiential relationship with your God. The second facet of this diamond is the power of his resurrection. So on one side we've had the person of Christ. And then we turn around the diamond and we see a little blue luster of the power, the royalty of Christ. And you think about the source of this power. Think about a God who could deliver Israel through the Red Sea. Israel, Israel was being chased by Pharaoh and his army, and there was no way out. But an almighty God split those waters and made the ground dry, just like this aisle right here, so that Israel could walk down between the waters on one side and the other, and they were not harmed. And then when they reached the other side, God closed the waters in on Pharaoh's army. It's this same God that we have an opportunity to know, and he's powerful. He's almighty. He created the world. You think of how much power it, take, it would take to raise a man from the dead. And that is the specific focus of this phrase. The power of his resurrection. No other man has ever been able to resurrect a person from the dead except through the power of Jesus Christ. This is the power that's available to us. And so that's the source of our power. But also this power is imparted to us in our own lives. Okay, in Ephesians 6 and verse number 10. Ephesians 6 and verse 10. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. For God had not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God is not satisfied with just being an almighty God. 
He knows that we are dust and that, and that we're weak. But he has empower, imparted his very power to us. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So this applies to our lives when we face difficulties and challenges and, and sin problems in our own lives even. When there's sin that you just seem like you cannot overcome, it's right, you can't overcome it. But God can. By depending, by faith, to overcome that sin. And faith is a choice. you got to get that in there. So often I grew up thinking, well, I'm going to have faith that God's going to help me with this sin. But I sat passively back and waited for him to just overcome it in my life. But faith is a choice. And you choose to overcome sin because you know that God has given you the power to do so. Reckon, you, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto Christ, but dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto Christ. <clears throat> and the third aspect of this diamond is the presence of Christ. And this is really where I wanted to spend a lot of time on. God wouldn't let me necessarily make this the focus of my message, but I wanted to go into the presence of Christ and suffering. Philippians 3 and verse 10 again says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Jesus Christ has been where we are. No matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, Jesus Christ has been there. In Hebrews 4 and verse number 15 14, actually, we'll start. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into heaven, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When Jesus walked this earth, he was rejected by his own family. He had nowhere to lay his head. He had no hometown, really. His people rejected him. And at the end of his life, he was taken, he was beaten, and he was crucified. Now, we talk about rejection all the time. Guy meets girl, and guy asks girl to the banquet. Girl says no. It's rejection, right? You think, oh, tailspin, you're going to go diving down, and it's the end of the world. Jesus Christ was rejected unto death. How much more can we bear under those things? that we bear, knowing that he has been there already. We have not in a high priest like all the other men of the earth, but he can be touched with our infirmities. He cares. He's not just silently looking back and saying, you need to bear that. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to leave you alone and let you go your way. He's going to be there with you. He's not going to leave you alone. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, what did he say? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Now that's conditional. It's go, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and, and, and all the other great commission passages. There's a commission to that. But Jesus' promise is still there. When Jesus was on this earth, he talked to his disciples and he gave them this one promise. In this world, ye shall have tribulation. It's not a question whether you're going to have hard times. It's a promise. God's going to give you hard times because he knows you need it. And I need it. But he's going to help us through those things. But he also said in, in John 15 and verse 20, Remember the word that I said unto you, 
The servant is not greater than his master. So who are we to think that we should have an easy life? That we should go through life with no trials, no scars, nothing. Our master suffered so much. But greater is he that is in you than he is that is in the world. During a difficult time in my life, I was reading through one of my Bible journals that I used to keep in high school. This is during a period of time that God especially was reaching down into my heart. I had been bitter against God and had actually had come to a point where I did not want anything to do with him. And in my heart had rejected God and had rejected religion. And this poem I found. Is this the right road home, O Lord? The clouds are dark and still. The stony path is sharp and hard. Each step brings some fresh hill. I thought the way would brighter grow and joyous songs from free hearts flow. Is this the right road home? Yes, child, this very path I trod. The clouds were dark for me. The stony path was hard to tread. Not sight, but faith can see that at the end the sun shines bright forever where there is no night and glad hearts rest from earth's fierce fight. It is the right road home. Our path, though filled with potholes and rocks and stones and sticks and all kinds of stubble, is still our path. It's the path that the Lord trod. It was difficult for him too. But it's not difficult. It's not doesn't have to be doesn't have to be a sidetrack from his will for our lives. Now the focus of my message is this. Is God a reality in your life? All the all the things you know about God, about his person, about his power, and about his presence are great. But if they're not real in your life, they mean nothing to you. And you're no different than the lost man out on the street. Does the fact that he is a powerful person who is, present, who is present in suffering do anything to your life? We must move our thoughts about God from our minds to our hearts and then into our lives. God wants us to love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind, right? I don't think it's just heart, soul, and mind, separate things here, but it's basically saying love him with everything you are. Our relationship with God is everything. It's not one factor here, not another factor here, but it's everything. Every sin in our lives is traceable to our view of God. And so what you think about God does affect who you are and what you do. God calls today. Be still and know that I am God. I will be feared among among the heathen. God wants you to be still and know that he is God. And let that affect your life.